You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So I saw this great story. Yeah, I've been a little bit out of commission, so I, I've been listening to stories. i got more stories running through my head. I don't know what to do with all of them. So it's good I write myself notes because who knows what story would come out. So I saw this story. I told it over to my wife. She says, you know, when all the kids come for the next holiday, you got to say over this story. So listen to this fascinating um, human psychology story. And the details are fine, but the lesson works no matter what the story is. So the story is for the lesson, and let's hear the story. So as you know, that recently I um, married off two of my children, a son and a daughter. And after the wedding, there's a week where whenever you make a meal in honor of the new bride and groom, so you have a special meal and there's special blessings, it's called Shevabrachis. On Shabbos, it's usually the responsibility of the bride's family that they will make or host the, um, the three meals over the Sabbath and usually they'll have a large contingent on the bride's side, not as much on the boy's side. Sometimes there will be more. I, um, for my son, we went to Chicago. At night, it was very small, intimate, and even by day, it was really... Um, the relatives in town of the of the girl, and for me, it was just me and my wife and my son. There was we didn't even bring kids with us. My door was a little bit bigger. We were in Lakewood, so I had all my kids there, almost all my kids there. Um, some of my um, sister and brother in laws, and even the other side, they had asked for us if they could bring. They're a very small family, so they wanted to bring the, which is a little bit unusual. Um, that the boy's side should ask the girl's side we'd like to bring 30 people but it's okay it was beautiful anyways so and again the Hassan and Kala are just getting used to each other and they'll usually have their own um, apartment getting ready for Shabbos anyways it's a big deal for the bride for the first Shabbos she's finally lighting candles. Now, if you're from Lubavitch, girls always light candles, but um, anybody besides Lubavitch, the girls really don't light candles till they get married. So that first week lighting candles is a real big deal. Um, anyways, you have to light the candles before the Sabbath begins. You're supposed to light them 18 minutes before, um, but you don't want to get too close to sundown because then you're not allowed to light the candles. So um, it's pretty understood that a chassan kala, especially the, the bride, the, the, there's a lot of stuff they're getting used to, and time is not, uh, is not something they're good at yet. And there's a lot of preparations, 
girl wants to make sure her makeup is on and she wants to make sure her clothes are on properly. And, and there's multiple things that could keep her busy. Anyways, this Kala, this bride in the story was running late. Her, she hears her husband by the front door um, and then he must go off to prayers and she comes into the room and the candles are already lit. And she is fuming. She is beside herself. Her husband, first week they're married, she's running a few minutes late, doesn't even trust her to get the candles lit on time that he already lit them. She is so upset. Now, this is not good. You've been married for two or three days. She is so angry. She refuses to talk to her husband the whole Shabbos. Poor guy. Does not know what hit him. Does not know what happened. She doesn't talk talk to him about a Friday night meal. Doesn't talk to him after the meal. They just go to sleep. Doesn't talk to him the next morning. Doesn't talk to him about a day meal. Doesn't talk when they when people go on a walk. Doesn't talk. The the late afternoon Shabbos meal called Shabbos Shudas still doesn't talk to him. Finally, after Shabbos, Abdullah. The um, just so you know, guys, the feedback is now. Um, they asked me for that information in the back. Um, anyways, the um, finally he says to his new bride, he says, "What did I do wrong? You're not talking to me." Like, well, what's wrong? She says, you don't know? That makes me even more angry. He says, I really, really don't know. Trust me, if I knew what I did wrong, I'd stop doing it. What did I do wrong? So she says to him, you, you lit my Sabbath candles for me. And really, really, you know, I, I was running a few minutes late, but you could have said something, you should light them, it's my job, how could you light them? He says, oh my gosh. Let me tell you what happened. Let this be a lesson to people who jump to conclusions. He says, you know, there is a custom that the, the husband should do something to help prepare for the Sabbath. The wife is so busy and she's doing all the cooking and the cleaning and the lighting. The husband should do something to prepare for the Sabbath. So he says, in my house, my father singes the wicks. If you singe the wick, it'll light faster. That's how he prepared I, was, I lit the candles to singe them. I was going to put them out right away. As soon as I lit them, there was a knock on the door. I went to the front door. I completely forgot that I lit the candles. I'm so sorry. So as the story goes, she was crying. And he was crying. And the rabbis who heard the story said, okay, their tears should be a forgiveness for them. They should have a good life, not so many tears. But this story is amazing. Because we have the bride getting angry because she doesn't know the story. Now, who could have imagined that he lit the candles, got distracted, and completely forgot about them? It wouldn't even occur to anybody. First of all, she didn't know that he wanted to light the candles. Fine. But to think he got distracted and forgot to put them out, so many times it happens to so many of us that... That something happens, you get angry at me, and instead of asking me what happened, in your mind there is no possibility that anything could have happened that uh, that would uh, that would mean that it wasn't my fault or that the story was misunderstood, and therefore I am guilty because you just can't think of any possible explanation. 
and as we like to call it in my house, communication, right? In other words, when we want to be friends with somebody, we want to have a peaceful relationship with somebody, the first thing we need to do is communicate. If something happened, that you insulted me, that you did something that hurt me, the first thing I have to say is, you know, maybe I didn't catch the whole story over here, but something, you know, this is what happened, and could you please explain to me, like, what's going on? And I'm willing to bet 99 out of 100, if not a full 100, um, there's a good explanation. But we're so fast to jump to conclusions, we don't even give a person a chance to explain him or herself. So I'll be honest, I don't know if this has anything to do with this week's story portion. I don't think it has anything to do with what I want to talk about, but it was such a good story, it was such a good lesson, I, I couldn't help myself. I had to say over the story. So I hope you enjoyed the lesson. For sure, I hope you enjoyed the story. When I told the story to my wife, she knew right away what happened. Because if I'm telling you over a story, obviously, when you know that the story has to have a misunderstanding, it's so easy to figure out, to guess what the misunderstanding was, right? Otherwise, why am I telling over the story, right? To say over the story, oh, the guy with the candles for his wife because she was late. <laughs> why would I say over that story? Anyways, this week's Torah portion has the first command, the first mitzvah to the Jewish nation, and that is the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. What is that? that the court has to proclaim when the month begins. A lunar calendar is 29 and a half days. So every month, and it's it could be mathematical, but at least originally it wasn't set up to be mathematical. And the court, I'm sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. Um, the Torah wants the courts to proclaim when the first day of the month is, and the court has the power to push things off a day, or sometimes makes make things earlier by a day, because according to the calculations, there are certain holidays we don't want to fall on certain days of the week, and therefore the rabbis can play a little bit with the calendar. But the power of the calendar was in the hand of the courts, in the hand of the rabbis. That was the first command given to the Jewish people, obviously a very important command, because all our holidays, not the Sabbath, but all our holidays um, are dependent on the new month, on when the month begins. Depending which day um, the month of Nisan begins will depend which day Passover is, which will depend which day the Shavuos holiday is. Uh, when the rabbis say the first day of, of Tishrei, so that's Rosh Hashanah, that makes it Yom Kippur, that makes it the Sukkot holiday. Uh, now we're in Shvat. So it would make a difference when the 15th of Shvat is. That's... Uh, has rules and regulations, not nowadays so much, but for an age of a tree and, and for what's called Trumas and Maestros. We're not going to get into all of that right now. It's just too much. Eventually, though, um, it was getting too difficult during the time of the Romans. They were persecuting, and one of the things they were making life quite difficult for was for the court to declare the new month. So somebody by the name of Hill Hakatan related to the great Hillel, but uh, lived hundreds of years later, he went ahead and made a mathematical calendar that the calendar, he actually wrote the calendar through the year 6,000. So if we're in the year 5782, he already wrote this calendar to 
continue for another 218 years longer. But the truth of the matter is, the way he created it with a, um, I think, a 19-year cycle, um, we could just continue to cycle. It's like, it's not really so complicated. I mean, it's complicated, but once he created the 19-year cycle, we could just continue it because there's no problem. There's other issues, but it could be continued. So interesting, Rav says it's really a fascinating lesson. Um, the original um, calendar was dependent on two witnesses seeing, with their eyes, seeing, seeing is believing, seeing the, the beginning of the new moon. They would go to the court, they would testify, and the court would proclaim, okay, this is when the new month begins. So originally... The, the calendar was set up on seeing. Then it was changed to making calculations. So Abraham says like this, he says, many times people will say, let's see, let's see what happens. Let's not uh, rush to conclusions. Let's, uh, let's see what happens. Let's just wait and we'll see. While other people will go ahead and make a calculation. We're not going to waste time. We're just going to act. So you, you have like the the two ways of people doing things, right? You have the the eh, let's not worry about it. Let's just see. And you have other people saying we make calculations. We know exactly what we want, exactly what we're doing, and we're not going to waste time. And it is interesting. And you can sort of decide. I think in Rapam's point was. That the guy who's saying, let's see, is not taking any responsibility. He doesn't want to worry about what's going on. He wants to ignore what's going on. He doesn't want to put in the effort to say, what's the right thing to do? And now, Rapam said, things changed, and now you need to make calculations to make a proper decision. Okay. That's one mitzvah in this week's Torah portion I wanted to talk about. Another interesting mitzvah in this week's Torah portion is the mitzvah of tefillin, the phylacteries, that that Jewish males, 13 and above, will put on what we call tefillin. Tefillin is a, there's a black box on the arm with four paragraphs in the Torah, the famous Shema, the second paragraph, Shema Vayim Shemoya, and two paragraphs at the end of this week's Torah portion. It talks about leaving Egypt, talks about... Um, talks about redeeming the firstborn son. These are the, so in the in the box, in the leather box on my arm, um, all four are written connected, and it's rolled up and put into that, uh, into that uh, box, and then it's stitched, and then we have these leather straps we wrap around our arms. That's the tefillin on my arm. And then there's also the tefillin that I put on my head. Um, that has actually four separate compartments, and each of those four paragraphs we just talked about go into separate compartments. Tefillin, this mitzvah, happens to be called an os, a sign, like a signpost that uh, like a doctor would have a signpost in front of his house. They would say, doctor, I had a doctor's office, you know there's a doctor here. So too, when a Jewish person, when a Jewish male will wear the tefillin, this is a sign that he 
is Jewish, he is religious, and he believes in what God wants from him, and this is a sign that uh, that he's following God's laws. Um, so it's interesting, by the way, the one on the arm, which we put on first, we generally cover. So it's sort of like hidden, it's like private. And then the one I put on my head is actually not covered, it's open. Now, I am wearing both at the same time, so one is hidden and one is, un- is one that's uncovered. But the first one I put on is my arm. The second one I put on is my head. So interesting enough, Ramesh used to say, Ramesh Feinstein, that first, it has to be clear to me. My religion has to be clear to me. What I do has to be clear to me. What I'm trying to accomplish has to be clear to me. That's my private, me and my private tefillin on my arm. After it's clear to me and I want to talk to other people and I want to, and I want to help other people and explain what's going on, then that's uncovered. That's the one on my head that when I'm ready to teach others, first make it clear to me. My, and that's hidden, that's me. And once it's clear by me, then I can go ahead and teach others. Oh, this is so much fun what you can do over here. Oh, I did that wrong. Look at that. I should really not be playing with my... With my uh, it's not going to work, but that's okay. Playing with my... Um, pad over here fixing some of my notes there's a, a most amazing story when it comes to film an amazing famous for a lot of people famous story um, the story is a good 20 years uh, 21 years maybe could it be so long already could be 21 years yeah could be 21 years anyways um 20 plus years ago, when you got onto an airplane, the rules were very different. For the most part, things were, were a little bit more relaxed. You, if you had to get off the plane to get something, you left something in the waiting area, they a lot of times let you off and, and you had to get your stuff until you get onto the plane. Anyways, there's a guy in Boston. He's getting ready to board a plane. He gets onto the plane and he realizes that he left his tefillin now, two by the way, are not cheap. Uh, you know, nowadays, I probably spend, I don't know, $18,000, $2,000 for my children for a period of filling. Now, it's a good deal. Don't get me wrong, $2,000 is a lot of money. But for the most part, it's a good deal because I expect my child to wear these every day, except Sabbath and holidays. So you're going to wear it 300 times a year, right? 50 Shabbos and holidays. So you wear about 300 times a year. You're 13. You're going to wear it 60 or 70 years, right? So you do the math. Even if we say 60 times um, 300 is, uh, I don't know, is 18,000, 180,000. Someone can do math fast. I'm not going to do it right now. It's costing you pennies a day, that your child can do this mitzvah properly. So why not get him a good pair? Something that has staying power, something that will last. Anyways, so this guy, you know, a lot of people will carry their tefillin separately, in a little bag separately. He had left it on his seat um, in the waiting area. And now he got on the plane. And he forgot it. And he doesn't want to leave it behind. You leave it behind, you have to hope that you can call the airline and you can hope that the that somebody found it and you can hope that somebody returned it and it got thrown out. And he didn't want that. He didn't like to travel without his tefillin. 
he was very unhappy. So he goes to the store and says, you know, I'm so sorry. Um, you didn't close the doors yet. I just need to run into the waiting area, get my son, I'll run right back on it. it. I'm telling you, it will take me less than 30 seconds. And they said, no, you cannot leave the plane, sir. And he made a ruckus. He says, come on, it's going to take me a minute. No, sir, you cannot get your stuff. You're on the plane. You are not allowed to leave the plane. And back and forth. They wasted more time fighting with this guy to get his stuff than if they would have just let him go in the first place. And back and forth and back and forth. And no, 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 you're not doing it. So he says, I, I went off the plane. Now, nowadays, I don't think they would let you off. I want, sir, if you go, you're not getting back on the plane. Come on. I can run back and forth so fast, you won't be able to close the door. Sir, if you run to get your tefillin or whatever you're running for, sir, we are not letting you back on the plane. And back and forth. Finally, he says, I'm, I'm not saying. He runs off the plane, gets his tefillin, runs back down the uh, that, that walkway. By the time he gets back, they've already closed the door. And... And then they start getting ready. He, he asks and pleads and begs, no, sir, you are not getting on the plane. He goes back, obviously very dejected. He wasted 15 minutes. The plane actually left 15 minutes late, which was really a beautiful thing because um, that was United Flight 175, which was the second plane which flew into the World Trade Center. So think about it. In the original plan of those terrorists, Two planes were supposed to hit at the same time, which would have caused a massive, a massive explosion, would have killed many thousands more people. That's because one plane hit. So now you had time for the 25,000 plus people that worked in the World Trade Center buildings to start going down the stairs, to get out of those buildings. So when the second plane hit 15 minutes later, people were already out. People were on the way down. So this guy saved thousands of lives and, by the way, his own life because he wanted to go get his tefillin. Amazing. Amazing, amazing story. True story. Um, just amazing. Um, interesting. Nachmanides, uh, the Ramban, says on this mitzvah, um, there's multiple commands in the Torah that we say this concept of remember that I took you out of Egypt. Tefillin for sure is one of them. It, it says it even in these paragraphs. Remember that I took you out of Egypt. The Ramban says it's important when it comes to any of these commands that not only am I doing commands with my thought, but I'm also doing commands with action. So the Torah has multiple, multiple commands that I'm doing to remember that I left Egypt and it's a memory, right, that, that has action connected. So there's staying power to that command. So, um, okay, so one more mitzvah. It's interesting because till now there haven't been too many Torah portions that have actual commands. So uh, in this week's Torah portion, we have a whole bunch. So let's talk about one more. That's what's called Pidyan Aben. Uh, Pidyan Aben means that we redeem our firstborn child. Now, there's a difference between people and between animals. So, for example, a person who has a firstborn child, 
will make a party, and he will call the Kohen. He will give the Kohen five silver coins, and they will redeem... They will redeem the the holiness from that child onto that money, and the money goes to the Kohen. I actually made a pidgin Ben. My oldest is a boy. Um, that's so easy to to merit to be able to make again what we call redeeming it a firstborn son, because I have a bunch of children married, and so far I have my my two newest, so they have the chance at least. But from the last five. Um, no pidgin aben because first of all you need you need the first child to be a boy. Second of all, it can't be a C-section. Thirdly, if either parent is either a Kohen or a Levi or a Levite, a Levi, you don't get to make a pidgin aben. So uh, happens to be my daughter married a Kohen. My second daughter did not, but her first was a girl. Um, my next boys um, all married it's like amazing the three next children are boys and they all married either a um, the daughter of a Levite or the daughter of a Kohen so it was no shot they happened to have had girls anyways so it didn't really matter but um, in any case that's the redemption of the firstborn son uh, and there goes the music. So we're not going to be able to finish this. But again, the music is playing, and I hope you all enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have David and Andy in the back. I have a best one for food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.